so um, how many, some of you have been to Sight and Sound before in Branson or Lancaster. And, you know, I enjoyed the David performance so much in Lancaster that when I came back from New Mexico last summer, I looked at Branson and they were showing the life of Jesus. And so I stopped there overnight so that I could take in the sight and sound performance of Jesus. And it was wonderful as well. And so I'm, I'm just wanting to say that to say that if you ever have the opportunity to go to Sight and Sound, I think they only have one in Branson and Lancaster, Pennsylvania. If you ever get the chance uh, to see one of their biblical performances, I highly recommend it. It is like nothing I've ever seen before. Live animals running down the aisle and all kinds of the, the it's just amazing. It costs a little bit, so don't be scared away by the price because I guarantee you, you will be glad that you went and experienced it. Before we start part two today of David, I just want to do a quick recap here of what we covered last Sunday. Of course, David was called out of the shepherd fields of his father Jesse around Bethlehem, and he was anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. King Saul had not fulfilled his calling as the faithful king that he was supposed to be. And so David is called and anointed as his successor. The only thing was it took 15 to 20 years for that to come about. And so during that time, David, uh, he fought and killed the Philistine giant Goliath, which is a well-known story with just a rock and a sling. Talked about that last week. He fled Saul for years because Saul was trying to kill him, uh, he was jealous of David being anointed the next king. But then it's finally at the age of 30 years old that David becomes king. Saul is killed in a battle and, and David becomes the king of Israel. And you know, last Sunday we looked at some of the highs and, and, and lows of those early years of David's life. But we knew from the very beginning why God had chosen David as the next king. Two reasons, basically. One was he was going to be an ancestor of the coming Messiah in Jesus Christ. And the second one is that Samuel said that David was a man after God's own heart. He actually said that to King Saul, who was the king at the time. He said that to Saul in 1 Samuel 13, before David was even chosen as the next king. And, uh, of course, uh, Saul did not particularly uh, take to that very well. So Jesse sends all his sons, of course, in front of Samuel. And, of course, they have to send out for David in the shepherd field. He comes in and... Uh, the key verse there is chapter 16, verse 7, where it says, the Lord said this to Samuel. He said, do not consider his appearance or his height. The Lord does not look at things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so many years later, David uh, becomes the king after God's heart. Even though the Lord looked at David's heart, we also know from scripture that he was, uh, had good health and was fine in appearance. He was a handsome guy, I guess you might say, from, from what we know in Scripture. Instead of reading one main text this morning, like I usually do before the sermon, I'm going to re be reading several different Scriptures 
as we look at David's life as king of Israel today. One of the first and important things that David did as king was to have the Ark of the Covenant brought to Jerusalem. Now, the Ark of the Covenant had journeyed with the people of of Israel as they were on their way to the Promised Land. In the following years, of course, after they got to Israel, it had fallen into the hands of the Philistine army. And the Israelites got it back. And for 20 years, it was kept in the home of Abinadab. Now, David wanted to bring the Ark to Jerusalem in order to show the people that he was committed to God and he wanted his blessing and his presence to be upon his rule as well as upon uh, the people of Israel. And so it makes the Ark of the Covenant makes its way to Jerusalem. But along the way, there's some trouble that happens. We're not going to go into all the details of that this morning. You can read about it in in 2 Samuel if you'd like. After a three-month stay at the home of Obed-Edom, it finally makes its final journey to Jerusalem. And that's where we hear the account of it in 2 Samuel 6, 12-9, which says, Now King David was told... The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and they set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. Notice there that Jerusalem is referred to as the city of David. You know, that that shows the stature and the, the place that David holds in the eyes of God as well as in the eyes of the people he was leading. And so, you know, with that said, there are many different things that happen in the course of these events. But I encourage you to read that sometime about how the ark came to Jerusalem. It wasn't smooth, but David and all of them got it accomplished. And then in the years that follow, chapter 7 says that David and Israel experienced a time of peace and a time of rest from their enemies during that time. It also in chapter 7 says that Nathan the prophet started to encourage David to build a temple of the Lord instead of a tent for their tabernacle. If you remember, uh, the tabernacle tent was followed 
followed them through the Sinai Desert and all the way to the Promised Land. You can see it there on the, the left side of the screen. But during the night, Nathan, after he encouraged David to build a temple, he receives a word from the Lord and he tells David that he is not the one that is supposed to build the temple. It's in verse, verses 12 and 13 that it says this. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. King Solomon, David's son, would be the one to build the temple many years later. But here we see how David did not let that power and prestige of his go to his head. He listened to what God said. And, you know, he even started to plan for the building of the temple and collect the materials and all of those things, knowing that he was not the one that God wanted to build, to actually build the temple that you see on the, the right-hand side there, which is Solomon's temple. It's a reminder, I think, for us that sometimes God says no to our plans. And when he does, we need to be obedient to that and not just, you know, barge ahead without him, with our own plan. In this case, David looked for other opportunities that God had given him to focus on instead of building that temple. I think so often, you know, we get consumed with an idea or, or a direction that we have in life. And sometimes it takes a lot for us to, to pull back the reins on those things. You know, if it is our plan, but it's not the Lord's plan for us. I think of that verse in, in James 4 that talks about the plans we have compared to the plans that the Lord has for us. It reminds us to say that if it is the Lord's will, we will do this or we will do that. If it is the Lord's will. Next month, we're going to be looking at the book of James. And uh, so we will get to that verse again. But David listens to Nathan when the Lord says that his plan is different. And we need to do that as well in our own lives. I think it's, it's during those times, you know, that, that we need to pray and we need to ask for God's guidance. Ask God what his will is for us. It's during those, those times that, you know, we received the yes or the no or you need to go this way or that way. And sometimes it takes a while of prayer before we get a clear answer. But that's what David does in chapter 17, verses 18 through 29, which Erica read for us earlier. That was David's prayer. And in verse 22 of that prayer, David said this, How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. There is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. 
So David continues to find success in his conflicts with other nations as time goes on. But on a spring evening, as his army is off to war, he allows the sin of lust to overtake him. And not only does he allow that sin to overtake him, but it begins to consume every part of David's life. And I think, you know, this is a warning for all of us about how sin can lead us down a dark and evil path. As we saw in the video, David has an affair with Bathsheba, who is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. He was one of David's soldiers who was out in the, on the battlefield at that time. Bathsheba becomes pregnant, and as a, result of that, as a result of that affair, and this is where one bad decision leads to another, and many others. David asks Joab, one of his messengers, to send for Uriah and to ask him to come home from the battle. And you see, David was hoping that Uriah would sleep with Bathsheba and the child would appear to be his instead of David's. But it doesn't work as David had planned. Uriah does not go home or does not sleep in his home. And so the plan does not work. After it did not work, David sends him back to the battlefield. And here's where things get even worse. David asked Joab to send Uriah to the front lines in the hope that he would be killed in battle. Uriah was killed in battle, but David's troubles were just beginning. At this point, David needs someone to hold him accountable for his terrible sins and the actions that followed. And so the prophet Nathan comes back into the scene. And the Lord sends him to rebuke David and hold him accountable for what he has done. And the Lord gives Nathan a, a story to share with David, which is actually a way of bringing David to confession and repentance. And so this is what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, 
the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. It, it was at this point that David was convicted of his sin and becomes actually very remorseful for how he disobeyed God and show, showed contempt for the Lord. Now, of course, in this, as the story goes on, there are several consequences uh, for his sin that followed that. Pain and heartache were a part of it. But David once again finds the heart for God that he had before these events happened. The Lord forgives him and the Lord sets him down a different path than the one he had unfortunately traveled down. In many of the Psalms, we hear David's confession and his sorrow, his repentant heart and his desire to follow God and, and stay on the straight and narrow. But Psalm 51 is probably the best is best known for his plea for mercy and forgiveness and cleansing. David said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. And then in verses 10 through 12, which Trinity actually read for us earlier, we see the direction that David wants to go. He said, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He then promises to lead others in the ways of the Lord. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. You know, this, this whole situation is a great reminder of God's love and God's mercy for us. It's also a reminder that no one is beyond the temptations of Satan that want to pull us into sin and disobey God. You know, David let his heart stray from where it had been in God's perfect will. And often when that, when that happens to us, that's when sin comes knocking at our door. A friend of mine one time who fell into sin and great trouble, as I talked to him later, his comment was, to me, was, my heart was not where it needed to be with the Lord when that happened. And that's so often the case. And that's why we need to stay focused on Jesus and keep his word in our hearts 
at all times. It reminds me of 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9, where Peter says, Be alert and of sober mind, because your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. You know, last week we, last week we saw where David was able to slay a lion with his slingshot and a rock when he was a shepherd boy. But in this case, as an adult, he was not as prepared. We cannot, we must not let down our guard and allow sin to take over our lives. As we see in David's situation, a lot of times one sin will lead to another, which leads to another, and it ends up affecting so many people along the way. That's how it usually happens. The consequences were great, people were hurt, people even died in this case. But the repentant heart of David eventually found the mercy of the Lord. And that mercy became a rock for him in the years that followed. God wants to extend that grace to you as well. To all of us. It doesn't matter what your sin was. It doesn't matter when it happened. How it happened in the past. If you come to Jesus with a confessing and repentant heart, he wants to forgive you. He wants to set you free from guilt and the condemnation of that sin. Romans 8, 1 is one of the greatest promises in all of Scripture. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Praise the Lord for that promise. David was set free. And so can it be for us as well. David's family still had many struggles as his story goes on. Our sins can be forgiven for sure. But sometimes our actions can cause trouble along the way. And in the years that followed... David's son Absalom would fall into sin and he would never find his way out. He was on the fast track to destruction, Absalom was. In fact, in later years, Absalom would, he would commit murder. He would even plot against his father David as he was trying to take away his throne from him. And he would consistently listen to the wrong voices for advice. Absalom caused a national rebellion during that time as he conspired against David. And at one point, he even had the gall to crown himself the king of Hebron, the town of Hebron. After that, a battle ensued and Absalom was killed in that battle east of the Jordan River. And it is in 2 Samuel 19 where David is restored or 
Maybe you say confirmed again as king. And he continues to plan for this future temple that his son Solomon is going to build. And that that temple would be completed in the year of 957 B.C. You know, we all know that life is a roller coaster. There are many highs. There are many lows. And David's life is definitely a reflection of that. There on the screen, you can just see how that went. How many ups and downs there were as he was the anointed king of Israel until his death in the first several chapters of 1 Kings. You see, if you can see close enough, I don't know how well you can see it, but there even was one more sin there in his life where pride took the best of him. He, he became prideful as he was counting all of his people and he was glorying in the size of his army and the size of his nation. He put his faith in his people instead of relying on God as he had in the past. And so once again... He has to come to that realization that he has sinned and he confesses once again in, in 2 Samuel 24, 10. It says this, it says David was conscious stricken after he had counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, he said, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. So now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very guilt, a very foolish thing. Perhaps this is one of the greatest lessons that we can learn from David. That it is so important in our lives to confess, to repent, and to admit to our foolish sins instead of just turning our head on God and and just going our own way. That is one of my biggest concerns right now for us as a nation. So many people seem to be just going their own way, fulfilling their own desires, and doing whatever pleases them, all while turning their backs on God and ignoring the directives of his word that keep us on the right path. And it's even more concerning to see many churches actually heading down those paths and in that direction. When will we, when will they come to our senses and admit like David here that Lord, we have sinned greatly and we have done a very foolish thing. I hope it's sooner rather than later. Of course, we can't control the actions of others, but we can control our own lives and our own decisions in life. So in David, we must see and learn the importance of being obedient to God and staying obedient to God as the temptations of this world attack us. God has a plan for your life just like he did for David's life. But that plan cannot bear fruit 
unless your heart is tuned to the Lord and to your Savior, Jesus Christ. So, you know, can it be said of us? Yes, they were a people after God's own heart. I hope so. And, and I, I hope that phrase can be a reminder for all of us as we uh, face those prowling and roaring lions out there that, that Peter talked about. We must always be alert. We have to always be on guard to the attempts of the evil one to pull us away from God. So may our testimony be, your will be done, Lord, not mine. Finally, it's in 1 Kings chapter 2 where David makes Solomon the king of Israel and establishes his throne for the years ahead. It's in 1 Kings 2, 10 and 12 that it says this, Then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. He had reigned 40 years over Israel, 7 years in Hebron, and 33 years in Jerusalem. And so Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his rule was firmly established. As we mentioned earlier, and as we saw in that video earlier in the service, David's life and his ancestral line was paving the way for the eventual Messiah to come to us in Jesus Christ many years later. You know, Jesus was referred to as the Son of God, of course, in the New Testament. He is also referred to in the New Testament sometimes as the Son of David on several occasions. And that is due to that ancestral line. So like with so many other people in the Bible and their stories and their lives, there's so many lessons that we can learn from them. That's why we have them in Scripture. You know, David was God's anointed king of Israel, but he wasn't perfect. He had a heart for God, but that heart sometimes turned away from God's will and caused hurt and pain in his life. The end result, though, of his life is found in the ancestral line of the only perfect person to ever walk on this earth, and that is Jesus Christ. And so it is through Jesus today that we find the hope, the grace, and the salvation, and the promise of eternal life that can get us through that roller coaster we sometimes feel like we're on uh, in this life. We've had quite a few funerals recently here in our church and in our community and you know i keep i keep coming back to one of the best known writings of david to get us through times like that psalm 23 it's not only one of the best known passages in the bible it is by far the best known psalm of david and so to end these two weeks of looking at his life, I want to end by saying Psalm 23 together in unison. So can we do that? Why don't we stand together if you're able? And let's just say these verses of Psalm 23 together on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. 
He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, may your name be praised. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we worship you today with reverence. We stand before you in awe because of who you are. We are blessed that you call us your people, God's people, created in the the image of God through the line of Adam, Abraham, David, and Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to love you and worship you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our minds. Help us to love other people unconditionally in the way that you love us and forgive us and extend grace to David and to us. Lord, I pray this morning that we might take time to take a serious look at our own life. Are we in one of those stages where The lion is prowling and trying to get us to turn away from the Lord or turn down a path that is not of God. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to turn to you, to turn to Jesus and ask for help in staying on the right path and resisting those temptations to sin. I pray, Lord, this morning that if there is sin in our lives... If there is sin in our past that is unrepented of, I pray that David's example this morning of confession, repentance, and desiring a clean and pure heart before you would be our desire. I pray, Lord, that you would work on our hearts and and allow us to come before you in prayer if we need to make anything right with you, knowing that you will forgive us. There's no sin represented among us that is not forgivable in your sight. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would help all of us to see the need that we have in our lives for an ongoing confession, repentant heart before you and a desire to say, create in me, Lord, a clean heart and renew your steadfast spirit within me. May that be our prayer. And Lord, I pray that your strength and your power would go with us as we depart from this gathering here today. I pray that you'd be with us as we are out there in the world. Help us to, to, to point to you with our lives. Help us to teach about you and share your good news with a world that so desperately needs it today. And we pray all of this in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said. Amen. God bless. Have a great week, everyone.